Hi, this is Esti, host of the Friday A Public Affair. I hope you help us by contributing to WORT and you can also subscribe to the podcast. Bye. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. No change, change without, without struggle. struggle. No, no one, one in power, power ain't giving up nothing. No, no change without, without struggle. struggle. No one in power. W-O-R-T, 89.9 FM, listener-sponsored community radio, Madison, Wisconsin. And hello, welcome to A Public Affair. I am Esti Dinor. We have a uh, very important, I think, um, show today ahead of us. We are going to start with um, talking with a UW student, a Palestinian who um, is one of the people involved in um, dealing with a very disturbing lecture that was given to an RSO, a registered student organization. Um, and, and we'll talk to him very soon. And after that, we have two doctors who are back from Gaza and who will go back there. But uh, as you probably know, it is a pledge drive. And uh, we have to see a lot of pledges. And I'd love, I'd love, I'd love, I'd love to hear from five, six, seven of you right away so we don't have to stop and pledge rap. But to pledge rap with me is Tim Corden, a longtime activist here in town. Hi, Tim. Thank you for coming oh, to today. Thank you. Thank you, Esti. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Such an honor to be on your show. Thank you. So why should people pledge or don't donate to us? Well, where else are you going to hear the voice of the resistance? Where else are you going to hear the smart and compassionate people who are trying to make this world a little better? You don't hear it on the mainstream news. You know, at best you hear um, a lot of depressing and um, horrifying facts about what's happening in the world. But here we hear about people who are making a difference, who are trying to make a difference And um, I really can't, I, I wouldn't even want to think where we'd be without wart in our community. Thank you, Esti. Yeah, I so agree with that. This is so, I mean, I think this station has such, uh, a, really a huge, uh, a huge job that it's doing really, really well nowadays. And uh, I... Uh, I'm so grateful that I have the ability to do this show weekly. Of course, I'm not paid for it. It's my 28th year. Never made a penny out of it. But I still am so grateful that I can do it um, so I can bring these voices. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. What a, what a service. Every, every week for 28 years, you're here. Yeah. And, and you don't, you know, this isn't just an hour out of your life. No. You, you've <laughs> got to do a lot of research, a lot of digging, a lot of searching, a lot of studying to make sure that we get the top-notch people that you bring to the show. So, um, I mean, most of us can't do half of what you do, but the least we can do is crack our checkbooks. 
and yeah, or uh, get out our debit cards or whatever it takes. You can you can pledge online. You can call this call the show and make a pledge. It's um it's a good time to do it, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point, Tim, because it's true that for every um, for every hour that I'm on the air, I spend somewhere between one and four hours preparing and learning myself about things. And you know, it's it's so important to come with the right questions and and um, be able to follow the conversation in a you know at least somewhat knowledgeable way. So we need people to show that they support it and they need it and they appreciate it. Absolutely, right. Absolutely. And I may, I'm, as soon as I'm done with my volunteer stint here today, I'm going to make sure I pledge before I leave. Okay, yeah. just make sure that it's to this show. So. Absolutely. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you do it later, it will be counted to the next show. No, we want to give you all the credit you deserve, Esty. You're, <laughs> you're a champion for justice in this community. Thank you, thank you. So uh, let's tell quickly people at least about some of the things they can get, and then I do have some thank yous, and um, we'll get to our first guest. Wonderful. Um, you know, I have never given this much before, but I when I saw this uh, beautiful hoodie, this yeah. Another Weirdo for Wart hoodie yeah. with a cartoon by P.S. Mueller yeah. donated. Um, it's beautiful, comes in four different colors, and... You know, what's $120 for such a beautiful piece of clothing that you can really show your support in the community for the people's voice? The So I, I'm I'm committed to this. I've never given this much at one time to wart before, but it's time. Yay. And I encourage okay, others to team. go for the hoodie. Let's make this one of our <laughs> one of our uniforms in Madison for the people's resistance, right? Let's get 10 people uh, pledging ten or people. donating for, get the hoodie. for the... Uh, for the hoodie, yeah. Another um, weirdo for Wart. A proud, I'll be proud to be a weirdo for Wart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there's a whole bunch of other things that we don't we don't want to go through them because we really want to get to our show. But um, you can find them on the on on the website if that's how you donate, or you can ask our uh, phone answerers what they are. We have four people sitting here and waiting to hear from you. So let's tell them how to do it. What, what number should they call? Where do they go online? Absolutely, yes. Call at, uh, 608-256-2001 and hit extension 1 if you want to pledge on the phone. Otherwise, you can go online to wortfm.org and hit the orange donate button. And I would love, uh, really, I feel like we need to get a, a deluge of uh, pledges mm. and donations right now. Wouldn't so that, that be nice? Yeah, so that we don't have to come back again and again, but we have time to talk with our um, guests um, for as long as we can. That'd be beautiful. Right? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so thanks to Harry who uh, gave us our first um, pledge today. And Harry likes Public Affair Friday and Thursday, Evening Local News and Labor Radio. Thank you so much, Harry. Um, let's have 10 people um, following in his footsteps, eh? Yes, thank you, Harry, for kicking things off. We, we know you show up for the movement and support WART, and that's wonderful. Right, 608-256-2001, extension 1, 
or um, wartfm.org. So, uh, let's get to our first um, guest. Shafiq is a student here at UW Madison. He is um, from Palestine and he's a member of Students for Justice in Palestine. And we're here to talk about a lecture that was given on February 18 at UW Chabad by uh, Oz Binun, um, to Jewish students. And hello, Shafiq. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Etsy. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, like you said, my name is Shafiq. I'm a Palestinian and a member of SJP at UW-Madison. Um, yes, yeah, SJP, we're anti-Zionists. First and foremost, we fight for a fully liberated Palestine, including the dismantling of the colonial Zionist entity, the right of return for all displaced Palestinians. Um, I'm glad to be here to talk about this uh, disgusting event that was hosted. So, so tell us about the events and what points did you find most objectionable and why? So, yeah. Um, I mean, to begin with, on February 18th, uh, UW Chabad hosted a lecture with Azbin Noon. He is with, um, he was with the IDF, I believe he's with the IOF now, but um, he's commander and he's also an emissary for Madison on behalf of the Jewish Agency. Um, in this video, he, he makes several dehumanizing remarks towards Palestinians in Gaza. Um, and, and what we're seeing really is a presentation that contributed to and perpetuates an atmosphere of Islamophobia on this campus. Um, that frankly, the university hasn't been doing anything to curb and oftentimes enables. Shafiq? Yeah. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Um, yeah. So like I was saying, I mean... Okay, let me let me ask you the next question since we don't have a whole lot of time. Um, one thing he he said he thanked UW Madison for buying drones for the Israeli military. What do we know about that? Yeah, so UW Chabad actually posted on their Instagram um, they had raised thirty four thousand dollars for the IDF through donations. It, as far as we can tell, currently none of that money directly came from UW Madison. Um, but it did come from, again, the university representative org, Chabad. And also, I mean, we are aware of other ways that University of Ma- Wisconsin-Madison is tied to this Zionist entity and to this genocide that we're seeing right now. Yeah. Another uh, very disturbing uh, thing that he said, and I, I will um, quote here, I truly believe that the devil exists, exists in mm-hmm. human beings. We saw them. We saw the hell. We saw the devil. And now it's time for us to process what does it mean for us to be the enemy of the devil. What, what are your thoughts and feelings about uh, that particular quote? I mean, like I said, this is it's contributing to this dehumanization, this dehumanizing attitude that we're seeing both um, in Israel from people who are supporting Israel from Zionists and on this campus, frankly. Um, and what we're seeing is this being, I guess, basically repeated and like told to in this in this way that's kind of like a recruitment effort for Israel. And they're like pointing out, oh, this is how these Palestinians are like devils. This is why what we're doing is so justified because we see the devil and we're fighting the devil. They're making this like a uh, a justification. And earlier in the video, something that really caught, uh, really kind of got larger or went public is the part when he's talking about, oh, you can't, can't say genocide. You can't call us baby killers. I mean, yeah, of course we do kill babies, but it's, it's not nice. And he, he says that it's kind of like this 
we're shedding tears while we're killing, you know? It's their way of, of minimizing minimizing Palestinians, of minimizing the effects that they're having, and of telling themselves that what they're doing is just, what they're doing is right, because we are fighting the devil, we are fighting a just war, but really what they're doing is they're committing genocide, as we so well know. Yeah, what do you think um, would be the reaction of the administration if a Muslim speaker offered a similar message, including multiple statements of by any means necessary? I mean, we don't even really need to speculate. I mean, we've seen this kind of like resistance from the administration on events that UW's hosted, I mean, that SJP has hosted that aren't even talking about like directly about the war. They aren't even discussing those topics. Um, we were hosting an event about pinkwashing, a well-documented phenomenon in Israel. Um, and we were faced with pushback saying, oh, this is anti-Semitic. People were sent emails. It was difficult for us to put this on. So we've seen like there's scrutiny that SGP hosts and we're not even hosting anyone like any Muslim speakers who are actively talking about by any means necessary. We're not hosting, right, for sure, we're not hosting anyone from Hamas. So like, for Chabad to be able to host this is, is without facing that same kind of scrutiny and also getting defense from the university in response is um it's appalling to say the least. Yeah. So you asked me not to use your last name. Um how um how safe do you feel in exercising your own free speech on campus? I mean I'll be honest, it's, it's this is one of the things that makes I guess speaking for Palestinians, so difficult. And this is something that's been felt um, by me. It's been felt by other Palestinians. It's been felt by Muslim students on campus. Uh, it's not safe. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that gets your, your name leaked and sent to your jobs. This has happened at UW-Madison in the past. It's happened at other SJPs in Wisconsin, such as Marquette, UWM. We, we've seen this happening, and it's a very real threat. Um, so it's a ridiculous double standard to see that we're kind of scared to just say like, oh, hey, don't don't kill our families. Meanwhile, they're able to we're able to see people come in and say, oh, well, killing those families is actually really justified. And there's no um, no pushback, no nothing against it. Yeah. And there are students who are facing disciplinary um actions for their activism um, for Palestine. Is that correct? Um. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, again, it's like kind of difficulties with the school. Some of it, it's, this, like, these are the obstacles that they put in our way. So they, yeah, they kind of threaten the students and they, they say like, oh, you can't really be fighting like this because of this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Um, and they put these obstacles like these disciplinary investigations that have happened. And um, I'm not really at liberty to talk more about that, but yes, there is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um Another statement from him, people can say genocide, it's BS. People are sacrificing their lives to avoid people that aren't in the fight. Um, that doesn't seem to be a uh, truthful statement. Um, again, your thoughts on that? I mean, like I said, this is essentially like it's a propaganda speech. This, like I mentioned, he works... For, as an emissary for Madison on behalf of the Jewish Agency for Israel. One of their purposes is to promote immigration to Israel. So what we're seeing is him justify, basically like rectifying the image that is currently being spread about Israel, rectifying this image of genocide 
and saying, hey, like, don't even listen to that. He's just spouting off, spouting off this, this book. Yes, as he said. Yeah. Well, um, Shafiq, we want to go to our um, next guests who are with us, and we also have to continue pledge wrapping, but your uh, final thoughts before we bid you goodbye. Yeah, I, I just want to make sure that people, you know, they hear this stuff and they don't let it go to the back of their head. So if you're listening today, make sure that this energy, any rage that you feel, any disgust that you feel, listening to his words, hearing the things that he said, doesn't go to waste, that you put it to good use. You call the university and you pressure them to, to protect Palestinians on this campus, to protect Palestinians from this dangerous culture that's forming, and to also divest and to take their holdings out of these companies that contribute directly to this genocide, to actually make meaningful stance on the horror that we're seeing right now and work towards I guess, dismantling this, this terrible thing. Yeah. Well, Shafiq, a student from Palestine here at UW-Madison, member of Students for Justice in Palestine, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. And um, we have some people to thank. And uh, who do you have there, Tim? Um, we have a, a generous pledge from Steve. Thank you, Steve. Steve likes public affair, SD and Allen, and music Antiqua. Thank you so much for your generous pledge. And also Sarah Goldstein. Oops, sorry. Just name first names only. Sarah, thank Sarah, you. Sarah, so you, good Sarah. to know you're even listening. Yes. Sarah is not in town. She's quite far away. But uh, Sarah also enjoys public affair with, with Esty and Alan. And um, so thank you so much, Sarah, for your generous contribution to keeping Wart going strong. Thank you. And I also have three people to thank. Kathy, thank you so much. Really appreciate hearing from you and uh, your donation. And we also have um, a donation from Glenn Tranowski, uh, who loves Pan-Africa. I like it like that. Better living through show tunes. And um, Glenn says, thanks to Wart for sponsoring Freeze for Food on March 2. Um, appreciate that. Appreciate hearing from you, Glenn. And um, oh, did I have another one? Oh, yeah, another one online um, from Ziggy, who's getting the sweatshirt. Yay, Ziggy, good mm -hmm. for you. So by now we have, I think we have three of you who are going to run around with the sweatshirt. Here is, here is something I want to say. If you're one of these people who donates 120 or more and doesn't like doesn't want a, um, a, a um, premium for yourself, buy it for me. <laughs> 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 I want it to. <laughs> and um, we have with us, we are going to trust you to call or pledge online 608, yes. what's Six, the number? Yes, 608-256-2001, hit extension 1. That's 256-2001 in the 608 area code, and also you can... You can pledge online at WORTFM 
dot org. Oh, you right, and um, and the donate, and uh, we're not going to pledge up because you guys have been coming um, to us. Oh, there's another one from Will who says there is no other radio station like this. Esti, I'm so grateful for the topics you choose, the guests, and the insightful, respectful conversations. I listen regularly from New York. Wow. Will, thank you uh, very much for um, your donation and for listening. And like I said, we're not going to pledge rap because you are coming through and we really, really appreciate it. And I have amazing uh, guests um, with us. So if we can just talk to them for the rest of the hour and just every once in a while thank people, that would be awesome. I hope we don't have to play rap anymore, Tim, right? Right, right. <laughs> okay. Let's get to our guests then. They are Thayer Ahmad, MD. He is a board-certified emergency medicine physician at Advocate Christ Medical Center. He also serves as the assistant program director for the emergency med- medicine residency program at Advocate Christ and the Global Health Director for the Emergency Department at Advocate Christ. He's also an assistant clinical professor at the University of Illinois and a board member of MedGlobal, a medical humanitarian NGO that works in Gaza, among other places. He has been to Gaza, Syria, Jordan, Turkey, Kenya, and Greece as a part of projects that focus on strengthening local healthcare capacity. Also with us is Dr. Dr. John Kaller, a general pediatrician and the Latin America Regional Director for MedGlobal, which he helped establish in 2017. He is a recipient of the Red Cross Disaster Services Hero Award. Dr. Kaller was Regional Medical Director for a large federally qualified health center in Chicago and became its Chief Medical Officer. For 25 years, he has had an interest in global health and has participated in humanitarian work around the world from Mexico to Haiti to Tanzania um, there's more but I will just let you know that after returning from Syria one of the places he's been to Dr. Kaller retired from clinical work to dedicate his time building a humanitarian organization concerned with the needs of the displaced and desperate I want to thank both of you so deeply for joining us and for the amazing and important work that you are doing more than hundred thousand people so far have been killed injured maimed are buried under rubble in Gaza still 70 percent of women and children and children are now dying of starvation and dehydration a million people are in a desperate need of food according to the UN let me start with you um, dr. Ahmad and Um, where and when were you in Gaza and what was the situation like for you as a doctor? Well, thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Um, so I went in the beginning of January with Dr. Kaler. We went as a part of a medical delegation um, from MedGlobal and we joined the WHO's emergency medical teams. And so we crossed in. We were the second medical delegation team to be able to enter into the Gaza Strip. Now, I think that's important to mention here because this all started on October 7th and it took several months for any organization or NGO or aid agency to be able to enter into the Gaza Strip. And so when we entered in the beginning of January, what we saw 
was something that we were not prepared for. I mean, we saw an incredible amount of people sheltering in the southernmost city of the Gaza Strip, Rafah. Over a million people at that time were there. We saw tents everywhere. We have a clinic in uh, Tal sultan which is in Rafah, and it was uh, seeing over 700 patients a day there. Um, I was in Khan Yunis at Nasser Hospital uh, for around the three weeks, and there we saw that there were 10,000 people sheltering inside and outside of the hospital. This is a hospital that normally has 300 to 350 patients. There were 1,000 patients there. Um, it was really an overwhelming situation. Every single day, there's an influx of patients that are coming in. And so it was definitely something that we were not prepared for. Um, I would say just kind of training here in the United States. I work at a trauma center in Chicago. I'd not seen anything like this before. Everything from limited resources to people that were really hurt and injured to people who were really hungry and waiting for aid to enter. I mean, this was, you know, this was a apocalyptic scene here. And this is why I think many people are categorizing this as the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. Mm-hmm. And um, Dr. Kaler, um, you're a pe- pediatrician, and I must say that everything I see out of Gaza is um, just incredible. It's, it's hard to believe that, um, that this is happening while the whole world is watching. But, of course, the thing that touches me the most and probably a lot of other people is seeing all these babies and children injured, shocked with um, um, gunshots to their heads and so on and so forth. Tell us about, um, yeah, that situation of, of children. All right, well, well, thank you so much for having me. And before I answer that, let me just say that any show that has a better living through show tunes <laughs> deserves a uh, $120 donation for me, and you can have whatever present you want with that donation. So there that, you go, Dr. K. I'll make that later on. <laughs> All right. I have been, uh, as you saw from my resume, I have been to a lot of very, very bad places. And so I anticipated, um, I anticipated something bad. Um, but as Tayer mentioned so eloquently, this was an order of magnitude worse than uh, I anticipated. Speaking specifically to the issue, the question you asked me about the children, um, two, two basic things are happening, both very important. One is what's happening right now, which is we opened a clinic that opened the day before we got into actually we were able to get into Gaza, and we see between six and 700 people there a day. Six and seven hundred people in a clinic, probably not much bigger than your studios. Um, and of those, probably fifty percent are children. Of that fifty percent, the majority are under two years of age. And so what you see happening with these kids is three things. One is they all exhibit diseases that you get from congestion, namely respiratory disease and gastrointestinal disease and skin disease. The gastrointestinal disease is something that in the United States would be easily treated and not spread. But the trouble is, as I said, these are diseases of congestion. And so virtually 100% of these children under two years of age had some type of diarrhea. And the diarrhea comes both from the, from the bad water, but more importantly, which people don't understand, is it comes from the lack of the ability to, uh, of hygiene. 
no hand washing, no ability to clean uh, clean, the, clean the children up well. That's how this stuff spreads. It spreads hands to mouth. And most of them were doing all right, but all of them had bad diaper dermatitis as well as everything else. It was, a, it was an unbelievably depressing situation. And that is without overlaying the whole issue of nutrition on top of that. Yeah, and um, what happens to children when you don't have med- medication and, and you don't have um, anesthesia, um, the, the materials that you need for anesthesia, well, and they need, um, they need surgeries? Well, I'll address, I'll address part of it, and then I'll turn it over to Tyre. Um, the other thing at our clinic um, was we saw between 150 and 200 patients for wound care every day. Uh, 150 to 200 pretty unique patients, meaning different. Half of those were children, and to those who understand or know, both burn care and wound care involved the removal of debris, and that and that's a very painful situation. And all of those were cared, uh, took were taken care of without anesthesia. So from 0700 in the morning to the clinic closed, it was just this wailing. Of not just children. I mean, it hurts. It hurts adults too. Mm-hmm. But there was just this constant wailing out of the the wound care uh, area of wounds being cleaned. I will turn this over to to Tahir because he actually dealt with several children in the hospital. I wasn't in the hospital. I was in an outpatient area. Tahir. Yeah. And I think you bring up a great question here. It's you know we don't have the materials that we need to appropriately treat some of these patients. So what happens? And I think that's something that the World Health Organization has told us that essentially more people will die in this conflict as a result of our inability to care for them appropriately, not from bombs or from uh, uh, the gunshot wounds or the tank shelling, which we know you just mentioned there's been 100,000 people who have either been killed or injured. But we're saying more people will die because we don't have the antibiotics that we may need in certain situations. We don't have the anesthetics. We don't have the proper cleaning materials. This is what's really concerning here. Um, This is called excess mortality. And if people remember this phrase, it's something that we talked about during COVID here in the States. We saw that our hospital systems were getting overwhelmed and we started asking the question, if the hospital is full, what happens to the people that come in after the hospital is full that have COVID and severe symptoms? Well, they get complications and a lot of them will die unnecessarily. And that's really what we're all concerned about. The thing about what's going on in the Gaza Strip and that it's really 360 degree assault on everyday life, right? We just talked about aid is not entering in. These trucks, me and John saw this. I mean, this these trucks are waiting at the border in Rafah on the Egyptian side, hundreds of them. They have the material that we're talking about, bottled water, they have food, they have tents, they have blankets, they have medicines, they have kits, and these are not entering in. And when they do enter in, it's not nearly enough. And when they are entering, barely any is getting to the north. I mean, we saw yesterday, it's just a microcosm of what's taking place. 112 people massacred in the north because they were starving and running to these trucks to get bags of flour. And instead of being able to bring those bags of flour back to their families so they can have bread for the evening, they were found, they were left in body bags. And I mean, I think this is really the tragic case. It's not just that the healthcare system has totally collapsed. It's all of civilian infrastructure in the Gaza Strip has been destroyed. And now we have, now we're expecting the Palestinian people to just be able to survive. I mean, I'm really concerned about what's going to take place over the next several weeks, maybe several days, if we don't have a solution here. 
Yeah, yeah. let me jump in here because th that's an extremely important point. We talk about Tyler and I are both physicians, and we represent uh, the healthcare system, and we know the healthcare system is collapsing. But when you talk about that, it's like talking about a 25-story hotel and we're worried about the top five floors. The other floors are burning too. So the real issue here, particularly with regards to what you saw in the North versus what's happening in the South. In the South, civil society is holding together. There's cracks, but it's holding together. We would, so Tyre and I would go on our, on our way to, work, to our work, we would go past a bakery with five to 600 people lined up every morning to get bread. Now, Bread will give you calories. It won't give you nutrition. It will give you calories. But for the most part, much to my shock, and this probably says more about me than it does anybody, much to my shock, that line was orderly. There's always a few fools mm. everywhere that would try to buzz. But the line was orderly. You'd go up the street a half a block, and here would be the children lined up with jerry cans half their size uh, waiting to get water from a truck, from a truck, which means there's only so much in it. And if you're on the end of the line and you don't get it, you walk away. So the adults would be lined up for the bread and the children would be lined up for water. It was, it was, it's, it's holding. But what isn't, but what you saw the other day in the north was exactly what happens is when you withdraw everything. So you withhold everything and then you give people a little bit of it and you see the chaos you saw at those trucks. This is not, and it's also not, it's not a glitch. This is PSYOPs 101. This is a plan. And my yeah. fear is that this is about what the, the Day of Reckoning is about to happen in the South also. That's, that's our big fear. Yeah, yeah. And we'll get right back to it. But, uh, Tim, you have someone to thank? Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry, Esty, did you mention Ziggy? I, I did, okay, yeah. Okay, very good. Uh, but we haven't received any more um, donations online. And okay, um, well, we are about halfway to our goal, which is awesome, but we have only 20 minutes left. So we need a lot more lot pledges. More. Yeah. Yeah. We, we Throw did. my 120 in there, by the way. I counted it already. Thank you so much, Dr. Kaler. And when you do call for it, please specify that it's for this show, for a public affair. Um, by Esty. <laughs> thank you. And who do you want to thank, Tim? Oh, um, I want to thank Barb, who says, thanks, Esty, for bringing the truth about what's going on in Gaza. Oh, thank you so much, Barb. And yeah. um, also, Glenn. Glenn um, is a big fan of Pan-Africa. Yeah. I like it like that and better living through... Yeah, we mentioned, we mentioned Glenn, but oh, that's, that, okay. uh, that got Dr. Kaler. All right, sorry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and thank you, Dr. Kaler, for bringing a little bit of a lighter tone into these horrors that we're discussing. Um, we need to hear from all of you. I will still not start pledge wrapping, right, Tim? We can trust our people to um, give us a lot more in the next few minutes. We would love to hear from five, six of you, like, right away. Mm -hmm. um, and if that happens, we won't be pledge wrapping. Um, Tim's first time on, on uh, as a pledge wrapper, and he won't have a job. I'd love it. 608-256-2001, extension 1, or um, wartfm.org, and donate. So thank you, folks, um, in advance, so that we can continue talking with our very uh, with our guests who are bringing such an important 
um, su- such important information to us. So uh, getting back to what happened to the in the north yesterday, which is absolutely again horrifying like everything that is happening in Gaza that has been happening in Gaza for about five months now but um, it made me think about um, doctors again because here we are more than a hundred people who um, well many of them are dead and maybe it's too late but also many of them are injured and they are brought to the hospital on top of Of the six seven hundred dollars that um, dr. Kaler mentioned and um, and and the the hospitals are devoid of what they need to have because they too have been um, attacked what happens in this situation dr. tire tire Ahmad Yeah, I mean, this is uh, really kind of a very concerning situation. So I'll tell you what we heard yesterday specifically. Yes, please. Um, we heard that out of Kamal Adwan Hospital, we have Med Global has some staff there, but they were saying that essentially it has now stopped operating. This mm-hmm. is one of the main hospitals in the north that can treat children, that has specialists for children. And we know that even just yesterday, excluding the flower massacre that took place, that the total number of children who have died from acute malnutrition and dehydration has reached 10 in the north. Mm-hmm. So there have been 10 kids who have died from acute malnutrition and dehydration. Now, the hospital that can handle children and try to do, cope with this somehow is not functioning anymore. So what you have is you have these random medical points that have been set up. I know that uh, one of the NGOs has a medical point in Jabalia, which is in the north. And what they're telling us is they need more supplies. They're seeing 100 to 150 cases of hepatitis A, which is a diarrheal illness that really needs to be, you need to focus on rehydrating some of our patients, rehydrating the children that come in with this infection. So you, what you really what you see is scrambling and chaos. You see that there are probably clinicians who are receiving and assessing these patients and having to make some very tough decisions. Do they have what they need to be able to treat them? Or are some of these people just going to lie there on the hospital floor? I mean, we've heard many harrowing accounts of just physicians begging the international community to get the supplies that they need, IV fluids, whether, you know, just some, even hospital carts. I mean, a lot of these patients are going to be on the floor of the hospital bed, and you, there's no shortage of videos showing you that. So, you know, what needs to happen really is that the international community needs to make sure that there is aid that's able to enter into the north. And when I say aid, I really mean everything from water, food, medicines, supplies. And we also need staff to be able to enter. They need to be able to assess the situation and see if we can get these hospitals running again. But none of that matters if this is going to happen over and over again, day after day, if we're going to continue to see this sort of violence on the Palestinian people, if there's going to be tank shelling and airstrikes and warships firing, if there's going to be snipers. I mean, it's really, really tragic. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's just it's something that I hope that there can be some sort of ceasefire really in the next few hours. I hope that, you know, we, that this whole talk about some sort of resolution coming on Monday, it, you know, bears some truth to it. Because I tell you, at this point, I'm just not sure what else can happen to the people in Gaza in general, but especially the people in the north. I'm just very, very concerned about it. Also, yeah. let me jump in here because yes. Uh, yes. as Dr. the Kayla. co-founder of our organization, I need to address the 500-pound gorilla that's in this room every single time we talk. Mm-hmm. 
according to the IDF, there were 30,000 active um, uh, Hamas fighters uh, when this whole stuff broke out. 30,000, yeah. maybe 40,000. There are 1.8 million people in, in, um, um, in Gaza. You do the math on that. I can't. I have no idea what percentage that comes out. But the the lunacy of talking about aid trucks being delayed because they're worried about um, um, aid being stolen by uh, Hamas is is specious at its very best. First of all, you don't starve your combatants, even if even if it was. Second of all, they could be fed to the nines, and it would still, if there's enough aid got in, feed the child, the women and children. So I, I don't want to address tunneling and all this other stuff, I, but I do want to address the lunacy of aid trucks being of, of food aid trucks being kept out because of what they call due purpose. It's it's a ridiculous argument, uh, and it's one of the arguments they used um, yesterday for this 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 uh, massacre that happened in the north. Yes, and thank you for that important uh, point. Tim, we haven't received any uh, pledges since mm. the... And, and I really want to continue talking with our uh, doctors. We have only 13 minutes or so left. There's so much more to talk about, but I guess we're going to have to stop here for a minute and uh, encourage people to donate. Yeah, I could, I could list off some of the premiums that are available, if that would be good. Sure. You know, you can Let's get, do it briefly. <laughs> sure. A, a year's subscription to the Progressive Magazine for for only a $40 pledge. I yeah. Mean, what a gift is that? It's and, a great it's a great magazine. And by the way, um I just published an editorial um for the Progressive. You can see it on their website talking about uh, me being the daughter of a Holocaust survivor and a survivor of the Blitz in London and um, why I object so much to what's going on now uh, done by my own people. Mm. Thank you, Esty. Um, at, at the $75 level, you can get this really very beautiful black knitted hat with uh, embroidered wart em, em, um, emblem on it. I'm and we need hats here. Yes, we do need <laughs> hats. They're great to wear all year round. I like to sleep in one even. But um, this is a, a great, a great uh, premium. There's so many other premiums at all different levels. You can give a lot. You can give a little. Um, and just when you give, think about how much Esty gives. In 28 years, how many public affairs shows she's researched and prepared for um, without a dime coming back to her. So let's, let's hear it for Esty and make a Thank pledge you. to... To really appreciate her on, on this hour. Yes, and if you care about Gaza, remember that my first show um, as a public affairs host 28 years ago was about Israel and Palestine, and I've been covering that regularly every year. Um, so our regular listeners know a lot more about what's going on in the Middle East, and specifically um, um, Palestine and Israel, um, because it's something that I've been covering forever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, folks, I am going to get back to our doctors. There, um, as I said, so much more to discuss. We need another, let's say, $400 at this point, and we'll be happy and satisfied. Um, you can pledge for that beautiful um, hoodie or for anything else or pledge for nothing. Um, I mean, to get nothing, like I said, if you if you are a pledger at 120 or 
or plus, and you don't want anything, buy that hoodie for me. But you don't have to. You know, <laughs> that's not important. Let's let's get back to um, to our show. Um, Dr. Ahmad, um, Dr. Keller mentioned uh, tunneling, and of course one of the things we keep hearing from Israel is that um, there's Hamas in the, in the hospital, there's Hamas by the hospital, it is Hamas that's shooting on the hospitals. Um, from being there and being in a hospital, have you seen anything like that? What, what have you seen? Well, I mean, I would say that I saw the exact opposite of that. I saw many, many children in the hospital. I saw many families huddled together looking for food, uh, hoping that they would be safe in the hospital setting. I was at Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunus. Nasser Hospital is the second largest hospital in the Gaza Strip. And prior to it being raided and uh, shut down last week, it was one of two referral hospitals left. And, you know, what's special about Nasser Hospital is that it could operate uh, multiple operating rooms at the same time. It could do about four or five surgeries. It had a decent amount of staff there. And like I told you, you know, this hospital was, uh, you could have a capacity of 300 or 350 patients. And we had 1,000 patients there. And so, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I just think that this is sort of, it's a distraction from the real crisis. And it's the fact that the healthcare system has collapsed uh, or is collapsing. It's the fact that there have been over 350 doctors and nurses who have been killed in this war, many other injured. It's this sort of tragic position now that we're in where hospitals and healthcare workers can now be targeted in our fair game. And that's just totally unacceptable. I mean, there is no way that we should be okay with hospital after hospital, clinic after clinic, being damaged, destroyed, or rendered inoperable. I mean, the military raided a Nasser hospital last week, and there were several patients, about eight, who died because the electricity was cut off and they could not get oxygen through their ventilators or they could not get the care that they needed. And to watch that unfold in 2024 is beyond me. I mean, to think about those helpless and vulnerable patients lying in their hospital beds in the ICU and for them to suffocate to death because the ventilator machine lost power or for them not being able to get the medicine that they needed. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that is in literally the nightmares of physicians here. We never think that that something like that could happen. And I just want to remind everybody that when this happened in Ukraine, we saw so many professional societies, governments, uh, medical associations come out and step out and say, no, this is unacceptable. These situations have to be protected. These doctors, nurses, the hospitals, they need to be able to function. But in the Gaza Strip, if hospital after hospital continues to be attacked and shut down and nobody's saying anything. And I'm just not sure why that double standard exists. Yeah, me neither. Um, I want to thank quickly the people who are answering the phones for us today. Chuck, Catherine, Chris, Rick, Lois is here too. Um, to help, we still need $400. Um, we have only six minutes or so left. Folks, 608-256-2001, extension 1, or wartfm.org. I am not going to pledge rap anymore because there's still so much to talk about and very little time. But I trust you to give us what we need to continue doing this work. Yeah. So, um, so me, can I actually can I jump in for one quick second? This is John Keeler. Please, because uh, I want to I want to dovetail on something Tyre said. 
Yes. Um, because he didn't take it to conclusion. The conclusion of this is that 50% of the doctors could have been affiliated with whomever they wanted to be affiliated with. Not one of the patients, whether they were children or adults, according to international law, should be, should be uh, uh, violated because of the affiliation of anybody. So, so the patients who are suffering from this, and remember, he described it perfectly. These are patients who suffocate to death. So people, are, whoever's listening to this, think about that. Yeah. Think about having a pillow held over your, your mouth and neck for four or five minutes while you die. So the patients are the ones who are suffering from this in addition to our colleagues who are helping. And, and, and I'm not saying anybody's affiliated with anything, but what I am saying is that no matter what that is, this is a crime against humanity and against international law to do to these hospitals what's being done. Yes, yes. So um, since we have very little time, only about five minutes, folks, we need money from you. 608-256-2001, extension 1, or worthfm.org, uh, please. Uh, oh, we have um, we have a donation from Rita, um, who says, "Thank you, St. Dinor, for your advocacy. Permanent ceasefire now, Amen." Rita, thank you so very much. Um, and but we need more. We need more. That doesn't um, get us to our goal. So, um, my dear doctors, uh, since we have such little time, I want to um, ask basically two questions in one. One is just the thing, the, this issue of living constantly under bombardment with no home, with no food, with no um, potable water. Um, I mean, one thing I'm thinking about is there'll be a whole generation that grows up more or less uh, deaf, but also mental health, long long-term consequences for personal and national health. And the related other question is what happens when we finally do have a ceasefire? Um, I mean, getting, being able to overcome what has happened will take years and years. So whoever of you wants to take let, it. Let me take it. Let me take it first. Tyler. Go ahead. Um, um, because you're 100% correct. This is a generational insult. All the infrastructures that hold societies together has been attacked. And we're talking about the healthcare system, but it, you can say the same thing about the educational system, same thing about the legal system. The bombing could stop tomorrow, and the damage is generational, both because of the intrauterine as well as the infantile effects of malnutrition, but also because they could, the bombing could stop tomorrow, and guess what? There's no med schools to go back to. They've been blown up. Teachers have been killed. So this is a multi-generational issue that needs a level of thinking that I, I regretfully don't think uh, uh, humanity is, uh, is able to do it. Yeah, Tayyar Ahmad. So I, I definitely um, co-sign exactly what Dr. John said. And so I think I want to say a couple of things. But the first being, you know, Esti, thank you so much for having us. Your voice is so important. Your perspective is so powerful. And so... I really appreciate it, and I hope that your voice can be amplified and many people can hear what you're saying, and I hope uh, the people who are listening can continue to support your program. Thank but you so much. When Dr. we Dr. talk Ahmed. about, of course, of course. Now, when I, one thing I do want to say is recently UNICEF said that there are around 17,000 children who are unaccompanied, 
who they can't locate their parents. Right, yeah. And I think, you know, and that's something that, you know, when John talks about the intergenerational sort of problem that exists, I, and you talk about the day after, like after everything finishes, I wonder how are we going to be able to support this? And really, we cannot go back to the status quo. It cannot be like it was before. It cannot be this continued blockade um, where people are struggling to get aid in, people are not able to travel out, we're not really able to address the concerns and the needs of the Gaza Strip. And psychosocial support Prior to October 7th, they said that probably 70% of children under the age of 18 needed some sort of psychosocial support. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that close to 100% of the population right now is going to need some sort of mental health interventions. I mean, you're talking about people being displaced five or six times. We just talked about nobody's been in school for five months. An entire cohort of children have their training and schooling interrupted. We are talking about food being an issue. That's not going to that's not going to be fixed day one after after the war is over or there's a ceasefire. This is going to take time and there's going to be irreversible effects as a result of this. What about the civil infrastructure, all of the 70% of homes that have been destroyed, are those going to be built a day, the day after? Are people going to have to live in containers and in tents for the next decade? I mean, these are such important questions. And I hope that everybody can keep in mind that just because we get a ceasefire does, does not mean that we can stop paying attention to what's happening in the Gaza Strip. We need to continue to advocate for them and we need to continue to push all of our elected officials and all of these organizations to continue to work there. So I hope that that's something that people can keep in mind. Yes, absolutely. Tim, who do you have to thank? Yes, um, Gary Krolnick has given a generous donation. Gary enjoys current transmission and who cooks for you in a public affair. Yes, thank you, thank Gary. You. Um, thank you so very much, um, Dr. Kaler and Dr. Ahmad. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your work. I understand you're going back to Gaza? I'm going back Sunday, yes. Um, so I'll be there oh, Sunday. for the Day of Reckoning and Ramadan. Yes. Yeah, okay. And we have another person to thank, um, Jerry. Thank you so very much. We're getting there. You can still uh, pledge for us if you do it really quickly. Thank you again. Um, oh, we oh, have more, more coming in. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, um, doctors, for your work, for joining us. We will be thanking people here for another moment. Um, please, um, we will have you again, and we'll keep, we'll keep this conversation alive. Okay? Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. And um, we have Julie to thank online, who says, thank you, Esti, for your coverage of Gaza today. And always thank you uh, very much, Julie. Um, let me uh, thank some other people. Uh, Keith, um, who likes the public affair and Mad Acres and all the jazz shows. And we have Mike who increased his um, monthly donation. Uh, thank you both so much. And he likes... Uh, oh, he got a hoodie for Esty. <laughs> thank you, Mike. Everybody. I really appreciate that. And what do you have, Tim? Oh, my good old friend Rick has, has called in. Thank you, Rick. Rick loves uh, Samalot, Letters and Politics, Wart Local News. Really appreciate all that Wart does. And Ken... Um, Olafs has also given generously. Uh, he really appreciates Esty's passion 
and heart every show on work. Oh, thank you so much. Folks, I really appreciate it so much. I believe we did make our goal, maybe even exceeded it a bit. We'll be talking to you again next week. It'll still be a pledge drive show. So um, those of you who didn't pledge or donate today, you have another opportunity. Thank you so much, and thanks to uh, Jade and Summer, and again to our phone answerers, Chuck, Catherine, Chris, Rick, And to Lois, they worked hard today. Mm-hmm. That's good. Good job, Esty. Thank you so much, team. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be with you this hour. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. WORT Madison, 105.5.